Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Carrie Allringer, who is featured in Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. Carrie, thank you for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. We're so glad that you took some time out to be with us. You are originally from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Madison, Wisconsin. So tell mm-hmm. me, tell me, what was life like in Wisconsin <laughs> growing up? Um, I'm living in California now for a couple of reasons. One, Wisconsin, super cold, chilly, rainy, and it, um, I just needed big adventure in my life. And so as soon as I got out of college, I actually headed south to Texas. I drove down there, and I, my theory was as soon as it was warm enough, I was going to stay and find a place to live. And so I had the window rolled down, and right about the Texas line, it got warm enough for me, and I ended up in Dallas. And how long were you in Dallas? Gosh, uh, 15 years. Oh, wow. I planned on being there five. Mm-hmm. That was my plan. But I had um, I started an ad agency, and I was doing uh, advertising work and uh, some commercial design work. And it, you can't just move a business like that. You know, once you start a business like that, you kind of have to stay where you are. So. Right. Um, but honestly, I w- it was great. I loved it. I loved living there. But while I was there, I caught the wine bug. And you moved to California when? Well, I actually moved um, to a couple of different places first. I lived in Chicago for a while. Um, I had this great job offer, um, and so I was traveling around the world. I was seeing the world on a company's you know, budget, so that was really amazing. Um, and then around 1999, when the whole dot-com thing was getting ready to go, I had another offer to come out to California, to San Francisco. By then, I had caught the wine bug, so it was actually my plan to, to come out and work for, the dot, for a dot-com make my big money, get my millions of dollars out of my imaginary stock options, right. and buy a vineyard. And that okay. was really my plan. Yeah, I don't own a vineyard. <laughs> it no. did not work that way. <laughs> but you play with a lot of vineyards. I do. <laughs> and in hindsight, it actually went the way it should have gone, because I'm now kind of relieved that I don't actually own a vineyard. Well, we're going to talk about your business in a little bit. Okay. But you you landed in California. Mm-hmm. When did you actually land in Napa Valley? Well, the dot-com went dot-bomb in 2001, early part of 2001. So I was commuting kind of back and forth to Napa, starting to do some work in Mm -hmm. Napa, some freelance work. But I got up here full-time in 2001, and that's actually when I made my first vintage of wine, too. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you you met your husband? Much later. Much later, because um, I well, I got up here in Napa in 2001, and it turns out we actually had a lot of friends in common. The wine mm-hmm. business isn't that big in this right. small community, and um, we had lots of mutual friends that had never met. And I'd, I'd never been married before, and he'd never been married before. And one day, I just we just finally ran into each other, and that was 10 years ago. So um, I spent a lot of single years in the valley. And you've been married for eight years. We've been married for eight years. Happily married for eight years. You still consider yourself a newlywed. I do. I still feel like a newlywed. Yeah. And you bought the house that we're at right now two years Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. We bought this home two years ago um, in Browns Valley, part of Napa. 
Um, we were looking for a one-story home with just a little bit of view and privacy, like everybody, a home that I think most people would kind of be looking for. Um, and we just lucked upon this. Like, we can't believe how lucky we are. It's a one-story and, and you know, three-bedroom. It's modest. It's not big, um, but it's got this big, beautiful yard. And as you can see, it's, and it's in full bloom right now, so it's probably never looked better. Um, but Jeff and I have been working on it in bits and pieces for, for the two years that we've owned it. Yeah, this backyard is spectacular. You've got a lot of sculptures. Mm-hmm. Tell us about tell us about the backyard. That large sculpture mm-hmm. um, over there. Mm-hmm. Why don't you start yep. there? I can start with that because it's a, a focal piece of the backyard for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Um, Jeff has been um, an art collector most of his life and uh, so have I. And we collect very different kinds of art. I'm more of the uh, contemporary, sometimes pop art and he's kind of more traditional and he loves sculpture and he likes um, older European things and so he's got a very eclectic collection but the big piece you're looking at now is done it's actually a model a, a mock-up for a large piece that our friend Mario Kyoto he's a local artist here in Napa um, he does a lot of sculptures um, like this and this was for a monument that's down in Oakland and it's a huge outdoor sculpture that's um, champions of humanity and it's got Chief Joseph, which is here in our backyard. So there's this looming sculpture of Chief Joseph, uh, much larger than, than life-size for sure. Um, and then just to the left of that, you can see there's a bust of uh, Abraham Lincoln. So it's kind of an interesting group of artwork that we have. And there's some uh, sculptures in the house that are really more contemporary, more modern. There's an alabaster sculpture in there and some things like that. So it's So is the artwork out? out in the yard in the backyard here more your husband's or your taste or oh, a combination no i would i well while i love the pieces they're definitely jeff's okay jeff fell in love like in, he's in love and and, and one, <laughs> one of the many things i love about him he's very spontaneous and he's very sentimental and he fell in love with it the moment he saw it so i knew eventually we would own that. well i you know that that first piece really mm-hmm. dominates that section mm-hmm. of your backyard but this backyard is is sprawling and has so many beautiful little areas mm-hmm. and we're in uh we're seated in a place that you call your tree house. it's the tree house yeah and it's your new favorite spot in the backyard it's absolutely our new favorite spot in our backyard we dine out here most nights um it's actually an extension of our deck that goes out and kind of hangs out over this little creek that babbles uh through our back backyard our property actually goes down to the middle of the creek down there um, and pretty much as far as you can see down on each side so well, we knew it was going to be wonderful because of the privacy, and, and it's just you're out with the trees and the fresh air, and it just feels like it, it it's the way one should experience Napa, really. You know, just the, the it just fit for us, but the wildlife was an unexpected bonus, you know. So deer walk through. There's a, a new family this year, and there's a mother deer with a couple of fawns that, that follow behind her. And, you know, I was just mentioned you just earlier that there's um, we're, we're actually officially otter spotters there's a website that you can go to the other night we were sitting out here and there was a mother otter and three little pups following oh right goodness. behind her um, we've seen her on other occasions just kind of out there's crawfish down and down in the farther dark, deeper part of the creek so she de- goes down there to fish so we've seen her a few times wow Raccoons. Fox, we have gray fox that hangs out in the backyard sometimes. Oh Suns himself on the patio. I'll bet your dog has fun with all these critters. Each morning she does come out to see who was here and what they did. Does she bark? No. 
She's no? not really a barker. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. No. Lucky you. Yeah, I know. We are super. Oh, she's an awesome dog. Yes. Yeah, we're super lucky. So otherwise, you'd be awake all the time. Uh, we would. <laughs> we would. Well, and the squirrels. Like, well, this is a squirrel highway right here. All this railing. Um, oh, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then this the other side over here, you mm-hmm. just finished. Tell our listeners about that. Well, we just finished that, and that is um, that is actually I'll have, I'm going to give Jeff most of the credit. This is his creation. It's an outdoor spa area, and it's got a infrared sauna, and you can't just leave them outside; they have to be enclosed somewhat. So we built this redwood roof to go over it. But what's really awesome is there's a an old hundred year old clawfoot tub out there that Jeff had been looking for for quite a while. We'd been shopping for for a clawfoot tub like that, and it turns out our neighbor had one. And he just walked into their backyard one day and said, hey, I'm Jeff. And he said, I'm Chuck. And he's like, you have a clawfoot tub. And he goes, yeah, I do. He, he goes, is it for sale? And he said, yes, it is. And less than a week later, I came home from work and it was sitting in our driveway. They had rolled it over here. Oh, my gosh. So now there's an outdoor tub, soaking tub with a shower and um, with a uh, on-demand uh, water heater out there. And a, and a dry, sauna. And a sauna. Well, yeah, an infrared sauna. I mean, everything that you need is right here. You don't even have to do anything inside. It's like camping, only with a shower. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a little better than camping, personally. I think it's it's just like this oasis. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. And, you know, it's so inviting. And I know, um, you know, Napa Valley especially is known for its hospitality and entertaining. Mm -hmm. You're a winemaker got to imagine you invite people over and all the time all the time it's, yes and I have to say that's actually one of the on, you know you make that list when you're going to buy a new house one of the things we knew we needed was more space to entertain and so that's really what we did we we had a uh, our other home was a lovely little home but two stories so the downstairs entertaining area was fairly small and we would cram 10 or 12 people in this tiny kitchen and at some point we said, you know, we just were going to need a bigger space. So. Well, let's talk about the inside of your house. Yeah. Your kitchen is very open. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that tends to be a place inside of a home that a lot of people like to gather. Absolutely. You have, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was that way when you bought the house, but, mm-hmm. you know, it is is very open yeah. and very welcoming as yeah. well. And your artwork in there is equally as interesting as the artwork out here now is the artwork inside mostly yours that's a combination that's definitely a combination and what do you like pieces. to collect um i would say most of the contemporary pieces in there are mine um i, I so have the some, photography and the photography some is his some is mine mm-hmm. we actually put a, we had now the space to kind of do a small gallery wall Jeff collects the Japanese block prints, so actually the bedroom area, we've got enough wall space to have the whole collection of the Japanese block prints hanging in there. And we've both been collecting for years and years, and so it was interesting to merge our two the households two. together as adults and go, well, I, who gets that wall there? And here's what I think should go there. And so it was kind of an interesting thing to try and figure out where things go. So if we walk back through the house, you'll see... you. You probably will be able to point to, oh, that's one of yours, and that's and you, you'll probably be able to tell. How did you get started collecting the, the pieces that you have? It, I've not been asked that before. Um, when, I was, when I started my ad agency in Dallas, I rented some office space in a pretty high-end little big office. I had a little space in a big building, and so I needed things for the walls. And so I met an art dealer, and I just said I need some things that are inexpensive but this is my taste and he just found me some amazing things and I still have some of them hanging that this was back in 85, 86, 87 when I started collecting art. Yeah. 
but you loved them. Yes, I you love w- them. Right. So, yeah, and it's, it's it, you know, you can talk about, well, value, what's that worth? Like, we don't have anything that we actually want to sell. You know, we'll never sell it. It doesn't actually matter. You know, it's and just they're something. not expensive. Right. No, I've got plenty of art in there that costs more to frame than the art costs. <laughs> but it's it's it has yeah. personal meaning to you. Absolutely. And, a and time, it's something a place, that you love. People, relationships. You know, it kind of tells a story. And it's of really, your life. It does, and it's really amazing to wake up in the morning and there it is. So I've got to ask, mm-hmm. and this is a loaded question to ask a winemaker. Uh, we talked about, you know, entertaining Napa mm-hmm. Valley hospitality, but what does what does Carrie Allringer like to drink when she's at home? Oh my goodness, we drink a lot of stuff. One of the uh, many many great things about Jeff and that he would say about me as well is that we both came with fully stocked cellars. And um, Jeff's a wine buyer, and he's been in the wine business for way longer than I, at nine. Oh goodness, I can't even eighties. 80s probably he got in the wine business and so he's been collecting some really really uh interesting stuff and he went through like we'd go through phases right like i don't know if you went through a zinfandel phase but i went through a zinfandel phase right. where that's mostly what i bought or a pinot phase and he went through a bordeaux phase and has these beautiful first growth bordeaux in his cellar well he did we drank them he used to have them but he oh drank them. no we drank them. no but you know and it, rhone and burgundy um it depends on what we're cooking we right. will we will as often pick dinner to go with the wine we want to drink as pick a wine we're going to drink with the dinner we wanted so it just kind of depends like if we're in a mood for pinot then we'll get something that's pinot friendly and tonight we're having lamb um he doesn't know that yet but we're having lamb um and so we'll probably pull out some roan we'll probably pull something roanish out okay yeah so Honestly, I drink all over the place, you know. But it's um, usually wine. It, oh, uh, for me it is. For okay. me it is. Jeff will absolutely, he's kind of into cocktails and, and beer. He's into artisan beer. And he, he broad and experiments, but I mostly drink wine. I'm a wine girl, too. Yeah. Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com. Is there something that people might be surprised to learn about you that you can tell? Mm, that I, ooh, <laughs> you can tell. Gosh, I, you know what? I actually think that I'm pretty open and I don't know that I have too many secrets. Just a hidden talent, yeah. maybe, that somebody might be surprised to know? Um, you know, I, I actually I don't often tell people that, but I actually, um, I have a graphic designer, and, and I illustrate, so I can draw and paint and, and do all that, and I don't have time to do it right now. But I often don't tell people that I'm actually very good in Photoshop and Illustrator, and that I can do graphic design work, because people always need that. And I'm way too nice to say no. And so I just don't tell people. Right. Right. That, you know. That but I'm, that was one of your first occupations. Way back. When, yeah. Absolutely. Right. And now for me, uh, winemaking is very creative. It's a, it is a creative outlet for me. And maybe one day when I slow down with the winemaking, maybe I'll go back to paint. Maybe. You know. On that note, um, that, that makes me want to ask, uh-huh. is there an original Carrie Allringer painting in your house? No. No? Nope. Is there one in the, you know, um, on the horizon? Maybe, but it'll be years before I really get, get I'm very, I, I get, I, what I know about me 
as I can be very driven. Mm-hmm. And once I really start doing that, like there's like Katie bar the door, there's painting that's going to happen. Right. right. So yeah, I'm not willing to actually open that box yet, but right. actually we have a pretty large amount of art stored. Um, and there are, there's probably some of my paintings are in there. I would guess I probably haven't hung them in forever. So there are paintings. They oh, there exist. Are. Oh, my mother has them. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom has paintings that I've done and I wish she didn't. They're oh. terrible. <laughs> They're terrible. But she has them. So there's a Carrie Allringer there, original sashed away somewhere. Are. Actually, there are some. They're going to be collector's items. They might be one day. It's so curious. I'm going to go in a different direction. Sure. What was your first job ever? Oh, my first job ever. I first started working when I was in high school. Um, we were tight on money as a family, and so I, I just needed to go to work. And I worked at a store that was um, kind of like the way Target is now. Mm-hmm. It, 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 although this was sort of trendsetting at the time when I first had my first job. But it was half grocery store and half retail house, housewares toys department right. and all that. And so that's what I did. And I, I've never been a waitress. I've never been a bartender. But I've... Either have I. That's, yeah, yeah, that's where I, I've... Uh, I don't actually think I'd be very good at it. Uh, and that's where my very first job was. And okay. I was actually pretty good at it. And I got promoted and I was a department head. And I, it was um, amazing, actually, for being as young as I was that it turned out okay. <laughs> but, but look where you are now. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. now this rock star winemaker in the Napa Valley. You produce wine for five, Different five wines. brands, mm-hmm. um, you know, cult brands in my mind. Yeah. We're drinking one right now, uh-huh. this spectacular rosé. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think you'd be here? Not, no, I didn't know actually early on. But as soon as I really got into wine and I really thought, this is super interesting to me, like, how did this get here? Who did this? How did that happen? And once that happened, then I thought that's exactly what I need to do. I need to explore with that. I need to do something about that. I figured how hard, how hard could it be? Now I know, but right. at the time I'm like, well, I, and it was time. I was just ready to change careers to be perfectly honest. And, and I changed careers later in life. Um, my, my agency was successful, but I, I didn't love it anymore. The business itself. And I knew that it was time to make a change and I was single so I, and no children. So if I failed, I failed only me, mm-hmm. right? And um, I figured, you know, Julia Child started cooking when she was 40. And that turned out okay for her. So I figured I'd give it a shot. So that's kind of where the transition happened. But I fell fast and hard. You didn't become a winemaker right away. No. You became assistant no. winemaker. I was assistant winemaker, yeah. Yeah, and I needed to go to school. You know, right. I needed to, to, to um, get all of my chemistry, and I needed uh, math, critical. When I, when I went to art and design school, not that critical. Like, I did not need to take chemistry. You know, there were some things, I, some, some background in, uh, education that I really needed. So while I was going to school part-time, I was working as an assistant winemaker, and I was an apprentice, and I worked a few harvests and hauled hoses and cleaned tanks. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and was cold and wet all day long, you know. So um, the, the glamorous stuff, clean right. tanks. Yeah, if you don't want to clean stuff, you should not be a winemaker. <laughs> you can need to well, clean some stuff. It's a lot of hard work, yeah. right? Yeah, it is, but and, and rewarding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's super rewarding. Like at the end of the day, I'm glad that's how I spent my day. What are the traits needed to be a good winemaker? Well, there are people that'll say you need the science and you need the chemistry and the math. You do, um, but I think the better wines actually come out of creativity. 
and out of an openness and a willingness to be present. I think you need to be able to stand in a vineyard, look at the grapes, touch the grapes. I think it's very um, tactile. I think that, um, and it's, it's creative and it's open. And so while you need the science as a foundation, I think that it's, I, I think you need the creativity to really make good wine. Because you can make it, I mean, I hate to use the word, you could make wine from a recipe. You can go to the wine store. There's one in Napa, Napa Fermentation. You can buy the kit. And it tells you, here's the juice, and this is exactly what you do. And in the end, you will have wine. You will. There's a recipe for it. Okay, but but will it have any complexity to it? Probably not. But it'll probably be drinkable if you follow the directions. So that'll get you part way there. So mm-hmm. that's the science and the, the chemistry right. and all that. But the creativity part, and that's that, you know, yes, you go to school. You know, I, 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 the education that I have was critical, but it was the experimentation. You know, I started making wine in my backyard in 2001. And I experimented because what do I have to lose, right? Right. A ton of grapes or two tons of grapes or whatever. And that, of course, that got out of hand. I had fermentation tanks in my kitchen in my bedroom, but. Uh, that's where I really kind of learned what's the impact if I don't do it this way what happens and if I do do it this way what happens and so that was like more important really as a foundation for me as school was just as important probably not more important but as important was there someone who influenced your career as a winemaker or who was a mentor that's, that's actually a very good question. There were a couple of um, actually women winemakers that were super influential, that were kind of, you know, there were some turning points in my career. Um, and I, what I love is that I think this um, community, I think people, embra- for the most part, embrace each other. It's not competitive. It's we all want everyone to do well. Right. If you're making wine and I'm making wine, we get together and we taste together. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, man, Carrie, this wine isn't what I thought it would. What do you think? And then I can, you know, and you get feedback and, and you have people that kind of help you along the way. And, and it's 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 really um, it, it's amazing to me because some of the other industries I've worked in have not been like that at all. No. It's all competitive and it's all secret. I would say Mia Klein, mm-hmm. absolutely influential, great winemaker, an extraordinary human being. Uh, Allison Green, Allison Doran Green, she's, um, she makes wine for the Hill family. She, God, she's got eight or ten projects that she's working on. I have not met a winemaker more knowledgeable than she. And happy to share it. Like, Here's what happened. Oh, you know, I had a wine that did that once, and here's what I did about it. You could also do this. And you can spend a half an hour with her, and it's she's happy to do it. So there's a, there's a lot. And it's not that they're all women, but there are a lot of women in the wine industry that um, have been very influential. I mean, And so, supportive. Yeah, and supportive. And Cindy Welsh, and I was an assistant winemaker to her for a number of years and learned learned quite a bit and got to work with some amazing vineyards. Like that, that little piece of education was critical, like... Here's good grapes. Here is a piece of dirt growing extraordinary grapes. And here's why. And then you get that distinction, you know, and you're like, oh. And then you can walk into another vineyard and you can go, this is what it is or this is what it isn't. So it, and that's a, a, a critical piece of kind of coming along, which I love about Napa and Sonoma as well. I mean, the wine industry, um, we're kind of, we just welcome people with open Right. Eyes. I love vineyard-designated wines because you can really taste the the essence of that Mm -hmm. 
yeah. that property. Yeah. What's uh, specific about it? Like right. There's something about it that even when the vintage itself changes year to year, because the weather's different, you pick it different right. times, but you, there's still a thread, a common thread that you can say that's from that vineyard. It's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think it's what makes wine so interesting. I think it's part of what's interesting. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you like honey, but honey now, the, the, the artisan uh, honey producers will tell you if the bees have been feeding on clover oh. or honeysuckle or, and the makes the, makes the honey taste different. Oh, that's and fascinating. Uh-huh. And that makes sense. Uh-huh. So you can influence the taste of honey based on what you're feeding your bees. Exactly. Depending on what flowers are blooming when you're, and where your bees are. Interesting. Yeah. They're also, you also can do that with, um, goats and sheep when they're for cheese well they do it with cows mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. so what are they yeah, fed that all and makes where sense and, uh-huh. right yeah you just have to think about it yeah I think maybe that's the thing a lot of mm-hmm. us don't think yeah. about it yeah. right pay, just pay attention to it yeah so are you are you a believer that women have better palates so therefore they're better winemakers you know i don't know that there's a i don't think that's there's a definitive answer for that I think that, um, or more sensitive, maybe more sensitive. And I'll tell you why I think we have a leg up and, and why we might have a leg up, um, is because in general, women do the cooking. And when you're cooking, you are, you're the, you procure the food, you've got, it's your, you've got the spices at hand and your, your, your senses are tuned into what you're making, what it smells like, what it tastes like and texture. And so I think cooks actually have a much better chance of being a, 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 a winemaker, a good winemaker with a good palate. Because they factor in all those different senses. And you have the vocabulary for it. Like mm. you can actually go, well, that's cardamom, and no, that's nutmeg, and that's anise versus that's star, you know. So, you know, I think that, I think that it gives you the opportunity to have, to have a better, better vocabulary, and you're paying attention. But that would tell me that a chef or a cook whether you're male mm-hmm. or female mm-hmm. would make a better winemaker could absolutely so, i think that that's absolutely true not necessarily mm-hmm. gender i don't think it's necessarily gender based although i i have read in several places which i consider fairly reputable that we have more taste buds right on our so more receptors you would think that we're more sensitive i mean i'm highly sensitive to spice i don't really care for a lot of spice and it kind of you know kind of throws my palate off and I don't know if that's because I have more taste buds or not, but I do. I also know, I've been tested, I actually know that I'm a hyper taster. What's so that I'm, mean? So I'm way more sensitive. You can actually get tested for this. It, I, I'm way more sensitive to um, spice in flavors. And I, people who are, gosh, it's been a while since I've actually done the research on this. It's been years. Hyper tasters generally have more of a sweet tooth mm-hmm. than a salty preference. But we're... Um, highly susceptible to bitter like we don't really like it like when you're a kid like broccoli and and brussels sprouts and all that that's hyper tasters we we don't like that i really don't like bitter greens um i didn't used to like brussels sprouts i love them now but it's actually a textural thing as well and if you you can really kind of dig into it and there's another interesting part about it is um hyper tasters in general are sensitive also tactile like skin so have you ever had like a shirt or a blouse or a dress where the label on the back just drives you crazy right yeah every one of my clothes are like that every, every one, one? Drive me crazy I oh take my gosh out, i take labels out of everything yeah because that starts to just irritate me. you mm-hmm. yeah. wow yeah. 
So, so you're really sensitive. Mm-hmm. But obviously it makes you this amazing winemaker. <laughs> okay. So you, let's just get back to the yeah. point. Okay. okay. <laughs> winemaker. Yeah. So what's ahead for you? What's ahead for me? There's um, a couple of uh, varietals of wine that I, that I don't really make. It's not sort of in my, you know. Portfolio. I make, yeah. Right. I make Cabernet for all my clients, and I make Pinot for almost all my clients. I make Rosé. And I would love to kind of start experimenting with some other fruit. I love the Rhone varietals. Um, there's beautiful fruit being grown in Lodi and up in the Sierra foothills, Grenache and Mavedra and things like that. I'd love to be able to kind of play with that. that so that's, that's really what's ahead for me. And, you know, I started my career a little later in life, and I plan on doing this until I retire, and I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. That's good. That yeah. means a lot of people out yeah. there can get get your wine. Yeah. The yeah, one other thing I guess I guess that in, in the next couple of years is I'd like to uh, start doing some consulting work in other regions. You know, I love the Pinot Noir coming out of Santa Rita Hills, and so uh-huh. I'd love to have maybe a project down there. Um, Jeff and I have toyed with um, maybe expanding and doing a little work in New Zealand. Oh, that's interesting. Wouldn't that be interesting? Work two harvests a year and right. stay one. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have a, enough energy for that? I do right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have more than enough energy Okay. Right now. I yeah. think that you yeah. should do that pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I need to get on it. That's for yeah. sure. I like that, though. Yeah. I think that yeah. would be fun yeah. to have a, yeah. have a wine out mm-hmm. of New Zealand. Yeah. And, and um, it'd be Pinot, probably. Um, it'd be my focus. And, you know, the whole South Island down in the Tago area, it's incredibly beautiful. Um, I love being there. The people are amazing. But I just, they're growing some amazing fruit down there. And it'd really be fun to be able to work with that. Very nice. Yeah. Well, we'll all keep a lookout for Would that. You? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap things up with what I like to call the five quick questions. Excellent. You're not supposed to think about these. All right. Too hard. Okay. Too hard. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. What's the last magazine you read? I haven't read a magazine cover to cover in a long time, but it's probably, uh, I would have to say it's Wine Spectator. What's your all-time favorite movie? Mm, oh, that's also a very good question. Um, I don't spend a lot of time watching movies. It's actually kind of a joke in my family All-time favorite, quick. (laughs) I'm going to have to go with, I don't know, Harry Met Sally, because I'm Sally. Okay. (laughs) Who do you call for advice? My mom. What kind of car do you drive? A Highlander. Name one favorite restaurant, one of your favorite restaurants in wine country. Um, It's wine country in Santa Barbara. It can be. Yeah. Okay. Down in Buellton, there's a restaurant called Industrial Eats, and the chef there is amazing, and it's all produce. It's sourced from within 100 miles of the restaurant, and it's fantastic. There you go. Yeah. I'd go there just for that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that is it. That's your five quick questions. So thank you so much yeah. for sitting down with us today. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. It's Always been pleasure. so much fun, and I, I'm, I am so thankful that you invited us here at your home. Yeah, thank it's you for so coming. lovely. We, I, I, we love to entertain. I love having people here. Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.